night. Uh, like I said, we're going to be in the very last passage of Acts today. But we're not quite done with Acts just yet. Don't get too excited. Uh, we're not quite done. We have one last sermon next week. We're going to look back on the whole book of Acts. And uh, just to, to make sure that we remember all that uh, we've seen, that God has shown us, so that as we conclude, we have uh, really the, the whole big picture in mind. So that's next week. And then, uh, Lord willing, uh, we're going to be turning our attention then to the Psalms. So that's why we're starting to memorize uh, Psalm 1. Uh, we're going to be going to the Psalms next. Well, as we come to Acts 28, in the final chapters of Acts, we've seen how Paul came to Rome by the sovereign hand of God. Since Acts 19, 21, the Holy Spirit has been leading Paul to Rome. Since Acts 21, and verse 33, Paul has been under arrest, awaiting the end of his trial. And since Acts 27, 24, God has promised Paul that he would stand before the emperor, before Caesar. And after a treacherous journey across the Mediterranean Sea, Paul is finally in Rome. So we're going to read the final verses of the book of Acts, starting in verse 17. But before we do, let's pray together. Father, as we turn our attention to your word, I pray that you would open our eyes to see wonderful things in your word. Lord, as we read, you speak. So may we have ears to hear what you want to say to your church. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you're able, would you please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word. The Holy Spirit says, After three days he called together the local leaders of the Jews. And when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And they said to him, We have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are, for with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers, 
through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. You may be seated. The title of this sermon is Without Hindrance. Without Hindrance, right there from verse 31. So, coming to the end of the book of Acts has made me a little sentimental. Thinking back to when we started two years ago, the first sermon I preached from Acts, I preached on May 10th, 2020. So thinking about the last couple of years, um, have, you, have you felt what it's like to be hindered the last couple years? Think back. You wanted to buy toilet paper, hindered. You wanted to go on a vacation, hindered. You wanted to sneeze in public without getting dirty looks, hindered. And, uh, you know, coming to the end of Acts, thinking about that, that day, May 10th, 2020, that was the last Sunday of our live stream only services right as COVID was first starting. Um, but actually, I was supposed to start preaching Acts at, in March of 2020, uh, and, and months prior to that, before I was even the lead pastor, our elders had been sensing that God wanted us to go to Acts. He wanted us to go to the book of Acts and walk through that book together, and a lot of that had to do with the fact that our, our elders have a burden to see our church grow in terms of evangelism and outreach into our community, and so, man, as we were starting to get ready for that March 2020 launch of Acts, thought that was the most important, exciting thing that was going to be launching in March of 2020. Uh, man, I had high hopes for what it was going to be like for us to be walking through the book of Acts. Had a lot of expectations for what it was going to be like. thought, man, this is going to be great. The only thing we're going to be thinking about in 2020 is evangelism and outreach. That's going to be the only thing on our mind. Uh, our church is going to grow and skyrocket, and this is going to be the most exciting year ever. But oh, how the hindrances came. <laughs> uh, along came COVID, and all of a sudden, I wasn't preaching to a growing congregation. I was preaching to an empty room for week after week. This is different than what I expected. Uh, and so we, we held off on Acts, but then we were going to start meeting again, and so we were like, okay, now, now we're going to 
start Acts, and we started that the, the week before we came back in person. But, you know, what I, of course, thought was going to be this, this sole focus on evangelism and outreach became distracted by focusing on hand sanitizer and social distancing and masks and all the rest. And Well, but then that summer, you may remember, uh, COVID actually afforded us the opportunity to change our plans for VBS, and we're going to launch Power Up Clubs, and you're like, oh, this is great, we're going to reach out to our community, and then another wave of COVID hit, and we had to cancel that, like, oh, okay, and then you add on to that, think about all the different hindrances that each of us have had to gathering at various times, even as much as recently, I mean, I did, I did the math, and I counted, and I have been hindered here, hindered from being here on a Sunday morning because of either sickness or health concerns or, you know, twice COVID, uh, nine times over the last two years, which means that Dalen has been hindered from getting more than 24 hours of sermon prep to be able to come to the, sorry about that, um, God is sovereign, don't, don't, don't forget that, um, and then, of course, you know, last year, especially, and, and even this year now, but uh, last year, there was this just bizarre, unusual weather that hindered us from meeting hindrance after hindrance. And so at the beginning of 2020, you know, I had an idea of what I thought it was going to look like to come to the end of Acts. And if you had told me what it was actually going to look like, looking back over the span of the time that we've been in Acts, I would have said, is that really what it's supposed to look like? Well, there's something similar happening at the end of Acts, actually. Luke begins Acts writing about how Jesus told his apostles that they would be witnesses to the end of the earth. And then we come to the last chapter of Acts, and it's a story about the gospel being rejected and an apostle in prison. The end. Is that really what it's supposed to look like? But Luke wrote this passage in such a way to address that very question. He wrote about what seem to be hindrances. And he wrote to show us that even those things that seem to hinder the spread of salvation are actually used by Jesus to spread salvation. He wrote to show us that even when things don't seem to be the way that you expected them to be, everything is still going according to plan. As we consider all the things that we may have seen as hindrances over the last couple of years, we need to hear Acts 28. We need to hear that everything is going according to plan. We need to hear this message. Nothing will hinder Jesus from continuing to advance his kingdom. Nothing will hinder Jesus from continuing to advance his kingdom.
And we're going to see two aspects of this truth in Acts 28. First, Jesus will advance his kingdom when the gospel is rejected. Jesus will advance his kingdom when the gospel is rejected. We'll see that in verses 17 through 28. And then second, Jesus will advance his kingdom when the gospel is proclaimed. Jesus will advance his kingdom when the gospel is proclaimed. And we'll see that in verses 30 and 31. But first, let's see when the gospel is rejected. When the gospel is rejected. So after three days in Rome, Paul asked the local leaders of the Jews there in Rome to come to where he was and uh, to meet with him. Paul was continuing a pattern that we've seen over and over from Paul. Uh, he went to the Jews first. He'll write in Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. So he goes to the Jews first. And this only makes sense given God's relationship and history with the nation of Israel. Uh, the Jews were given the Old Testament scriptures. They were given the covenants of Abraham and Moses and David. They were given the promises about the resurrection. They were given the promises about the Messiah. And so it was only natural, if you're going to start proclaiming the Messiah who was promised, that you would start proclaiming to the Jews to whom those promises were made. So Paul uh, would ultimately, in Acts 28, he's going to end by sharing the gospel with this group. But first, he has to deal with a potential obstacle to the gospel. See, because Paul was there under house arrest, and he was arrested because of accusations made against him by Jews. So he needed to explain to his Jewish audience why he doesn't have anything against them, and they shouldn't have anything against him. So Paul recounts how he got to this point. He, he hadn't done anything against the Jewish law. He hadn't done anything against the Jewish people, but he was still arrested. And furthermore, the Roman authorities even recognized that he was innocent. But because the Roman authorities were, for political reasons, caving to the Jews who were wanting to see Paul dead, Paul appealed to Caesar to get justice. But he says in verse 19, I, I had no charge to bring against my nation. So what he's saying is his goal was to get justice, not to see the Jews punished. He wasn't trying to press charges against their false accusations or anything like that. Uh, the bottom line is that Paul was in prison, but not because he had done anything wrong. But Paul didn't just want them to know why he was not there. He wanted them to know why he was there. So he says in verse 20, for this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. So Paul was arrested because he was preaching that everything Israel had been hoping for was fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus was the long-awaited Messiah. Jesus was the, the firstborn from the dead, the beginning of the resurrection. Paul was proclaiming what the Jews had been waiting for. And so after hearing this, the Jewish leaders then responded to him. And they said, you know, we haven't heard anything negative about you. Uh, and we're curious about your message because we've only heard negative things about it. But we need to hear more. So they decide on a day 
and they come back. And they bring even more people with them. Looking good. What did Paul do when they arrived? Look at verse 23. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of prophets, or the law of Moses and from the prophets. So Paul spent the whole day talking about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God was at the heart of what Israel was hoping for. Luke showed this in the very first chapter of Acts, back in Acts 1, after Jesus rose from the dead. Some eager, excited, anticipating disciples came to him. Acts 1-6, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? This is at the heart of their expectation. And what we've seen in Acts is that King Jesus has been exalted to the Father's right hand, and he is building his kingdom on earth as his witnesses proclaim his message. And as more people turn to Jesus, they become citizens of the kingdom of God. So Paul testifies about the kingdom of God, and he testifies about the kingdom from the Old Testament scriptures. He shows how Jesus fulfilled the law, how Jesus fulfilled the prophets. And in this, Paul was doing exactly what Jesus did at the end of the Gospel of Luke. He taught his apostles that he was the fulfillment of the Jewish scriptures. But despite this amazing message, the response that Paul got was less than enthusiastic. Verse 24, and some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. So Luke doesn't tell us how many were convinced and how many disbelieved, but judging by what comes next, it seems that most did not believe. The group ultimately left, disagreeing with one another, but only after Paul made this bold statement in assessing their response. Paul quoted a passage from Isaiah chapter 6, a passage that they would have been familiar with. Look again at what Paul says beginning in verse 25. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear but never understand. You will indeed see but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. So Paul looks on this group of Jews who have rejected the gospel and he says, not here's what I Paul think of you. He says, here's what God says about you. As God promised to Isaiah, they heard but they didn't understand. They saw but they didn't perceive. Why? Because they had a dull heart. Uh, the idea here is that there's a, a thick 
barrier around the heart that won't allow the truth of the gospel to get through. Their heart is so hard, they can barely see. They can barely hear. And what's so tragic is if they would just turn to God, he would heal them. But because they have a heart in their hearts, they have blocked their ears from hearing the message of God's salvation. And so Paul says, because the Jews would not listen, the salvation of God, the salvation of the God of Israel is going to be sent to the Gentiles and they will listen. Now, this is not the first time we've seen this in Acts. In Acts 13, just like Paul does here, he met with a group of Jews in Antioch and Pisidia, and he testified about Jesus from the Scripture, and they rejected the gospel. And so Paul said, we are turning to the Gentiles. Similarly, in Acts 18, when Paul was in Corinth, he testified about Jesus to Jews there, but they also rejected the gospel. So Paul said, from now on, I will go to the Gentiles. He goes to the Jews, preaches the gospel, reject it. Okay, I'm turning to the Gentiles. Uh, But it wasn't just happening with Paul. This is a small, just a few examples of what God was doing on a global scale in terms of his grand plan of salvation. Paul writes about this in Romans 11. And he explains that God hardened the hearts of Jews which led to their spiritual deafness and their rejection of the Messiah. But their rejection opened up the opportunity for Gentiles to receive the salvation of the God of Israel. And Paul makes clear in Romans 11 that God has not totally rejected all Jews in this. There is a remnant of Jews that he's still saving. Uh, We see that even in Acts 28 in in Rome. There's some who are convinced by what Paul said. Paul himself is a Jew that was saved and received the salvation of God. And furthermore, God's plan is to bring Gentiles into the people of God so that Jews would become jealous and be drawn to God and they would receive the salvation of God. So the Jews rejecting salvation was all part of God's plan to bring salvation not only to Gentiles, but even to Jews. So why does Luke tell this story here in Acts 28? Why is it important for his first reader, Theophilus, to hear this story? Why is this the one story from Rome that he chose to tell in detail at the book of Acts? We know Luke knows of two years of Paul in, in, uh, in Rome, this is the one story he chose to tell. Well, so consider the message that Luke has been communicating to Theophilus in Acts. He's been showing how the apostles were proclaiming Jesus was the fulfillment of all that Israel had been hoping for. And he's been showing that this message about Jesus has been spreading throughout the world. Acts 6-7, the word of God continued to increase, 
Acts 12, 24, but the word of God increased and multiplied. Acts 19, 20, so the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. But then put yourself in the shoes of Theophilus, the first reader of Acts. You're reading about this spread of the message of the Messiah, yet you've seen how the Jews, the very people whom God promised the Messiah, have rejected the message about this so-called Messiah. So if the message is true, and this message is so mighty, then why of all people are the Jews not accepting it? I think about uh, being a kid and going over to a friend's house, and my friend's dad says something crazy, but with a straight face, and I'm kind of like, is he serious? And I look over to my friend, and if my friend is laughing, then I'm like, oh, okay, he wasn't serious. And if my friend has a straight face, I realize, oh, he was serious. I I look over to my friend to find out whether or not to take this seriously. Well, likewise, it's only natural to look to the Jews, the one to whom these promises were made, to see how they are reacting when supposedly they're being fulfilled. It's only natural to look to them to see how they react to the message about the Jewish Messiah and see, is this something that I ought to take seriously? And if they don't believe, if they reject the message about the Messiah, then doesn't that raise doubts about how seriously we ought to take this message? But Luke shows that God wrote about the Jews' rejection of the Messiah 700 years before this moment through the pen of Isaiah. The Jews' rejection was not an indication that these truths about Jesus were false. The Jews' rejection was the fulfillment of Scripture. It was all part of the plan. Because nothing will hinder Jesus from continuing to advance his kingdom. He will spread his salvation even when the gospel is rejected. This passage serves as both an encouragement and a warning. It's an encouragement because... In our day, when we see the gospel being rejected, we need to remember that nothing will hinder Jesus from advancing his kingdom. It's heartbreaking to see individuals reject the gospel, whether that's a family member, a former church member, people that we've personally shared the gospel with. It's also difficult to see rejection on a larger scale. You know, studies are showing that church attendance in America is on the decline, especially after COVID. The American culture is looking more and more like Romans 1. Fewer and fewer people acknowledging God. More and more God is giving people up to what they want to do and what they shouldn't do. More and more ways of evil are being invented. And all of this can make us think, is this really how it's supposed to look when the kingdom is advancing? Is this really how it's supposed to look when God's plan is going according to plan? And yet, into that climate, Acts 28 shouts, it's all part of the plan. 
even when more people seem to be rejecting the gospel, God is actually using that in his wisdom to bring salvation to more people. So don't be discouraged when you see the gospel rejected, whether that's individually or on a large scale. Remember that even when rejection seems to hinder the mission, even when it seems to indicate that the mission is failing, everything is going according to plan. Nothing will hinder Jesus from continuing to advance his kingdom. But this passage also serves as a warning for those who have not yet turned to God. If you've not yet turned to God, you need to understand that God created you to know him, to love him and experience joy in him for all of eternity. But you're guilty of sin against this creator, God. Your sin separates you from God. And for your sin, you deserve the penalty of death for all of eternity, according to Scripture. Your sin is like a deadly disease, and there is no way for you to heal yourself. There is only one way to be healed, and it's through the blood of Jesus. Jesus died as our substitute to take the penalty that we deserve for our sin, to die the death that we earned. Isaiah 53, 5 says, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement, the punishment that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Jesus did everything necessary to bring you back to God. You don't have to do anything to earn this. You can be healed by the death of Jesus. But only if you turn to God. God says in Isaiah 6, he says in Acts 28, if they would turn, I would heal them. So if you are hearing this message, if you're seeing what God did for you in Christ, God is showing you amazing kindness. If you can hear, if you can see, God has given you grace to hear, grace to see. He is inviting you to turn to him. He's inviting you to come and be healed. But understand this. If you hear, and if you see, but you're thinking, maybe some other time. I'm not quite ready. Maybe later. Not right now. You may not hear so well next time. And if you keep hearing and not turning, you may get to the point where you don't hear anymore. So if you can hear 
you can be healed. So turn. Turn to God and be healed. Don't wait. Turn away from sin and turn to the God who heals. The God who has sent his salvation to your ears today. Turn to him. And even if you don't, Jesus will still advance his kingdom even when the gospel is rejected. But next, we will see that Jesus will advance his kingdom when the gospel is proclaimed. Jesus will advance his kingdom when the gospel is proclaimed. So we come now to the end of Luke's description of Paul's time in Rome. And with these last two verses, this is how Luke chooses to end the book of Acts. Read again verses 30 and 31 with me. He, Paul, lived there, Rome, two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. So Paul lived under house arrest in Rome for two years. Paul couldn't go anywhere. So he brought people to him to come and hear his message. And when they came, he kept on proclaiming. He kept on preaching the kingdom. He kept on teaching about Jesus. He may have been in prison, but that was no hindrance to his preaching ministry. Uh, just like he would go on to write in 2 Timothy 2.9, I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. <coughs> now, if you've been along this ride through the book of Acts, this ending might be kind of unsatisfying to you. I mean, again, that, that's it. There's no more story there. So, I mean, just consider all of the anticipation that's been building up to this moment. Again, Acts 27, 24, God promised Paul that he would stand before Caesar. And if God said it was going to happen, then we know it happened. But Luke tells us nothing about that. We've come to the end of Acts, and Luke doesn't give us, I mean, wouldn't you love to hear the story of what happened when Paul stood before Nero? We don't get it. Since Acts 21, Paul's been under arrest, awaiting the end of his trial. His trial's delayed over and over and over again without any verdict. And now we've come to the end of Acts, and Luke doesn't tell us what happens at the end of his imprisonment. Then, think back to Acts 19, the Holy Spirit's been leading Paul to Rome. It's like, okay, what's going to happen in Rome? What's going to happen in Rome? Keeps on coming. Rome, Rome, Rome. What's going to happen in Rome? Paul's finally there. But besides the story we've already looked at, Luke gives us a one-sentence summary of his two years in Rome. And then, I mean, go back all the way to Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. Jesus told his apostles that he would send the Spirit and they would be his witnesses to the end of the earth. 
but we've come to the end of Acts, and the gospel has still not made it to the end of the earth. It's made it to Rome, but Rome wasn't the end of the earth. A couple weeks ago, um, I, I referred to Rome as the end of the earth, and I realized that was a mistake, because in the Roman Empire, Rome was considered the center of the earth, the hub of the earth, not the end of the earth. So Acts ends, and the gospel still not to the end of the earth. Luke, uh, you forgot to tie up a couple of loose ends here. Or maybe he didn't. If we believe that all Scripture is breathed out by God, if we believe that the authors of Scripture wrote as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit, and if Luke left Acts open-ended, then we can only conclude that the Holy Spirit led Luke to leave Acts open-ended. He ends this way without tying up loose ends on purpose. Perhaps Luke didn't tell us about Paul before Caesar or about the end of his imprisonment or about the rest of Paul's time in Rome because Acts isn't actually about Paul. Perhaps Luke didn't tell us about how the gospel got to the end of the earth because Acts was never meant to tell the end of the story. Turn back with me to Acts chapter 1. You'll remember that Acts is the second volume of Luke's two-volume work. The first volume was the Gospel of Luke. And look again at how Luke describes the Gospel of Luke in Acts 1, verse 1. In the first book, that's the Gospel of Luke, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. So in the Gospel of Luke, Luke wrote about Jesus' birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension. But according to Luke, that wasn't the end of the story. The Gospel of Luke was only about the beginning of what Jesus did. It was only about the beginning of what Jesus taught. And what he implies as he's starting this second volume is that the book of Acts is about what Jesus continued to do and teach. But now that we've come to the end of Acts, here's what we need to understand. The story is still not over. The story wasn't over when Jesus ascended. Jesus continued his work through his apostles. But the story isn't over at the end of Acts. It continued even while Theophilus was reading this book. And the story is still not over. It continues to our day. Jesus is still at work. Jesus is still building his kingdom today. His word is still increasing and multiplying and prevailing mightily. The Holy Spirit is still today empowering his witnesses to take the gospel to the end of the earth. Acts is open-ended because the resurrected and ascended Lord Jesus Christ is inviting you and me to enter into the story that he is still writing. So how do we enter into this story? By doing exactly what we see Paul doing at the end of Acts. By proclaiming 
the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Or we could say by being and making disciples of Jesus Christ in Erath County and around the world by the power of the Holy Spirit to the glory of God the Father. Here's the takeaway. Keep on proclaiming because Jesus is still saving. Keep on proclaiming because Jesus will keep on saving. Nothing will hinder Jesus from advancing his kingdom. He will spread his salvation when the gospel is proclaimed. But he will spread his salvation only when the gospel is proclaimed. He will spread salvation only when the gospel is proclaimed. Paul said in Romans 10, 14, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? There is no plan B. The salvation of God will only spread if the gospel is proclaimed. Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God the Father. He sent the Holy Spirit to empower his witnesses. He is building his kingdom. He is sending salvation to the Gentiles, to the nations of the earth. And he is inviting us to enter into the story by proclaiming his gospel as his spirit-empowered witnesses. He is still saving So keep on proclaiming. We might not see our loved one trust Jesus before we see Jesus face to face. But keep on proclaiming because he's still saving. We may not see our attendance numbers grow, even though Jesus' kingdom will grow. But he's still saving. So keep on proclaiming. A pandemic might derail our plans, but he's still saving. So keep on proclaiming. We might even end up in house arrest in Rome for two years, but he's still saving. So keep on proclaiming. Who do you need to proclaim Jesus to this week? Who in your life do you need to invite to be a part of the kingdom of God? Who are you going to see this week that needs to be taught about the Lord Jesus. If you're in Christ, God has shown you incredible grace. He's given you a story to tell about how he transformed your life. And he has given you the Holy Spirit, God himself, to empower you to proclaim. So, You and I can, like Paul, proclaim with all boldness. Nothing will hinder Jesus from continuing to advance his kingdom. He will spread his salvation when the gospel 
is proclaimed. As I think again about the last couple of years, all the ways that things are not today the way that I thought they were going to be. All the ways that the last two years have not been how I thought they were going to be. Couldn't look at it that way. Couldn't look at all the things that we could, in our human wisdom, chalk up as hindrances, speed bumps, brick walls, depending on what we're talking about. We can look at all those things, see all the ways that we wouldn't have written the story. But I also look back on the last two years, and I see God at work in you, in us, through us. I think about this last summer and seeing you proclaim Jesus on front yards throughout our city. I think about seeing you tell the gospel to kids on Wednesday nights, pick up kids in a van so that they could hear the message of Jesus proclaimed. I think about you, the the new people that God has sent us to be a part of this congregation that he is using, imperfect as we may be, for his glory and the building of his kingdom. I think about how I've seen sanctification, how I've seen you look more like Christ today than you did two years ago, in big ways and in small ways. I I think about the, the people that we've seen baptized over the last two years even. Nothing will stop Jesus from building his kingdom. Things aren't always going to look the way that we think they ought to look. Our plans aren't always going to go according to plan. Things might even at times look like things are not going according to plan. Like Jesus is not advancing his kingdom. Like things aren't the way they ought to be if everything is going according to plan. But time and time again, Jesus proves He doesn't stop. He cannot be hindered. And by the grace of God, may that motivate us to keep on proclaiming. We might be rejected. We might see rejection by a large group of people. Keep on proclaiming. We might be hindered from doing what we would want to do. If the, t- if the last two years have taught us anything, <laughs> it's that the next two years are going to bring us hindrances that we couldn't even conceive of right now. Things are not going to look the next two years like you think they're going to look. But here's what you can take to the bank. Jesus will advance his kingdom, so keep on proclaiming. God has given us the privilege of entering into the story that he is writing. So let's proclaim the kingdom. Let's teach about Jesus with all boldness, knowing in Christ we do so without hindrance. Let's pray together. Father.
I thank you. I thank you for your unstoppable plan, your continued work. Lord, not just in the world at large, but even through my church family, my brothers and sisters. Lord, I thank you for the gospel conversations. I thank you for the gospel transformations. I thank you for your faithfulness to us. God, you have a plan that cannot be stopped. So Lord, I pray that we would see the privilege you've given us of getting to step in and be a part of this story, of your salvation going to the end of the earth, of your glory spreading to all nations. Lord, through redeemed sinners like us, Lord, use us to proclaim, empower us to proclaim. And Lord, may we not be discouraged when we see rejection, when we see hindrances, when we see obstacles. Lord, may we remember that nothing will hinder Jesus from advancing his kingdom. We love you. We praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand together and let's respond to the word of God.